notice our title. And I like how it's like very to the point. It's just like, boom, like, like not punny, nothing. It's just very like assertive with like what I'll it is today. a better title for... I like the title for anyone <laughs> listening. The title is DNA exclamation mark. It's like a very aggressive title. It's like, boom, like this is what we're talking about today. Don't be worried about it. This is what's happening. End of conversation. Kind of like my kombucha just says trilogy. You don't need to know anything. You just need to know it's the trilogy. Flavor. That's not a flavor. It is a flavor. It may be three flavors, but I don't know what those are. I would just like to point out it tastes like trilogy. So checkmate. That's fair. I drink a lot of monster energy drinks. They're like, oh, what flavor do you like? I would say orange because that's the color of the can, but the flavor is listed as ultra sunrise. And I'm like, that's not actually a flavor. (laughs) Ultra sunrise flavor. It's like, dang, man. It's like, who gets to name these things? You guys do that in your field too, though. They like scientists just name the most random stuff. Counselors don't do that. We like, we name things after people. We're like, that's Freudian. That's Adlerian. So you know who came up with the idea. But scientists, man, are like, I'm either going to make the name be like the bug or it's going to be like some 15 syllable word that makes sense to no one except for the scientist. It goes one of two ways. I like the ones that are named after what it actually does, like biochemically. Those make perfect sense. But then the ones that they just like named after what a fly looks like if it has that gene deleted, like, no, that's... (laughs) Science is ridiculous, and that's my final answer. And I feel like that's a very good issue to be like, that is why my name is Katie, and I am not a scientist. (laughs) But my name's Erica, and I am a scientist. And And this this is is Southern Southern Science. Science. (laughs) We've got it. Look at us. I thought that was pretty good for taking some time off. Oh Which, yeah. By the way, I so this has been me this time, guys. Like last time, Erica was graduating, and this time I have sold a house and bought a house within the course of a month. And um, also, I haven't had AC in New Orleans. That's been fun, and I also haven't had internet. So this is my first week back with internet. So um, hello, everyone. The the internet was really the uh, the problem for recording, obviously. So. Yeah, also, the lack of house was a problem for recording. Well, that per- yeah, that was also an issue. The lack of house and lack of internet. The AC just made me miserable, but you know. Yeah. It is what it is. But yeah, so Katie is on route to moving up here next to me. So Yes, one Yay. month, yo. Here for it. Yay. Yeah, super excited. Come to Streetport City. <laughs> I love Streetport. I swear, I would look. I was there last weekend, and like I was running around doing all my favorite things. And Erica met me at my favorite little place to get a po' boy, and I was just in a really. It was just great. I was like, I'm so excited to be up here. I mean, I know Erica's about to ditch me to go move to like where people go to die, but nature you know, where it's, it's fine. She's moving to like Blanchard, and like Blanchard is perfectly nice. It's a perfectly nice area, but I am terrified of the country, as I have said on multiple podcasts. Um, I'm terrified of nature in the country. And for some reason, my best friend wants to leave a perfectly acceptable city to go move out to like places where there's bears. I wouldn't move that far. I still have to work here. Um, But you lived in Doyleen for like five years or four years. It was, and that's, you want to talk about country. Doyleen is country. Yeah. Did I like it? No, I didn't. The first night I was there, I was like, I'm going to get serial killed. (laughs) Like, like I would not, no. I didn't go out at night. I was more scared of that than I was living in the dead center of New Orleans surrounded by gunshots. I'm in Mid-City right now. There was a shooting like two streets over. Not worried. Because I'm like, at least there's people. You can hear the people. You can hear the gunshots to come with the people. 
You know what doesn't come to stuff like this? Like, yep. No chupacabras are coming to New Orleans, okay? They will get shot up on site and then probably cooked. Like, so I'm not remotely worried about this. Mm, chupacabra chitlins. No monsters are going to break into these houses. I would love to see a serial killer try to break into one of these houses in New Orleans. They would get shot. The amount of, like, unregistered firearms in the city is ridiculous. Like, because I do, like, um, the outreach programs and stuff, and I can't tell you how many, like, unregistered mm-hmm. firearms I take off of people. I'm like, is this yours? <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, all right, so this is this is mine now. Like, you can't have this. Or the people who ask for it back afterwards, like, man, can I get this back when I get out of here? No, you cannot. Does it belong to you? Then no, you cannot get it back. Well, you know, Katie, this may actually be an excellent segue. Really? Since you're talking about the commission of crimes, our topic of today will begin with forensic DNA testing. Oh my God. I know all about forensic DNA testing already, Erica. I watch Criminal Minds. A little part of me just died. (laughs) I know all about forensic DNA testing. Ouch. Oh, that hurt. I know that you can send it like in like like you send it really quick and you have to hurry up and get it back within like three hours because the perpetrator is about to go kill somebody else and it gives you like the readout and tells you exactly what the person looks like and I know that's probably not exactly true. Not exactly. I'm hoping part of that's true. <laughs> not entirely. Oh. Okay, so forensic DNA testing, which is different than like I am your father DNA testing. Oh, we're gonna talk about that too. hey okay so yeah maury yes so uh what i wanted to do today was uh, a talk i've actually given different groups of people uh i've given this talk or a very similar iteration of it to high school kids at neville i've given it to mensa in two different venues i've given it to um both the daughters of the american revolution and the uh, Republican Women's Club of Washtenaw Parish. So groups not particularly interested in DNA testing, but uh, that was relevant for them uh, for different reasons. So for the DAR, th- when I gave this talk, they had just started accepting DNA evidence as proof of ancestry or supplemental proof of ancestry to an American Revolutionary War participant. For the Republican women's, they're all about public service and stuff. So I've told them how to be better jurors in <laughs> in uh, trials where DNA evidence is considered. And I also figured a lot of uh, little old ladies are into genealogy testing. So we talked about the ancestry part too. So absolutely, hundred percent. And everyone watches CSI. So. Yes. And so the three main types, or I guess it's four, my talk has evolved over the years of DNA that we're going to be covering (laughs) are those that you may have heard about through different television and other media outlets. So if you'll go to slide three. Oh yeah, I have a slide. I'm so excited. She gave me a PowerPoint. Yes. Because I've given this as a presentation so many times, I've sent Katie a PowerPoint to follow along. So yes. Super appreciated. All right. So we got it. So depending on how you like to spend your television time, you've probably heard of these different types of DNA testing. So if you're into crime dramas like CSI, NCIS, Bones, Law and Order, all that Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds. So you've probably seen a lot of some facsimile of DNA testing, forensic DNA testing. 
And so we'll talk about that first. And the reason we'll talk about that first is because I may or may not have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was actually employed as a forensic DNA analyst for two years after I got my bachelor's degree and before I started my master's program. I actually worked as a DNA analyst. So it's been a few years since then. (laughs) Oh my God. I remember when you lived in Little Rock. It was so cold. (laughs) The rest of the country slash world is not going to think that Arkansas is cold, but if you live in Louisiana, it actually is significantly different. So. Yeah, our heat index was 110 today. It was cold in Arkansas. <laughs> Comparatively, yes, definitely. Yeah. For sure. So I can speak to a lot of what was done at the time. I'm not sure how many advances have been made since then. Probably not many. It's a federal program. Yeah. So anything that you, well, I mean, that's actually true because anything that is new has to be extensively validated because they can't risk the integrity of forensic evidence because it comes in limited quantity and absolutely positively has to be accurate and reproducible every time. So changes are slow in that field. But similarly, if you maybe spend more of your time watching daytime television before the crime dramas come on, you may have watched a lot of television that involves paternity testing. Hey, y'all. Maury, Jerry Springer, what's going on? Yep. So we'll talk about how you know is you is or is you not the father. Yep. And then if you watch pretty much anything else, you are going to see news and commercials for ancestry DNA testing, health-based like medical DNA testing. So ancestry.com, 23andMe, you know, there's other big ones, but those those are the two I'll talk about because they have some of the biggest databases. Oh yeah. Things things that you'll come across, maybe not like the focus of a TV show or anything, but that are still definitely part of our media because they're very popular products. Absolutely. So I wanted to start with like a super basic, what is DNA? And I feel like we've probably talked about this before, but I don't know how comfortable, you know, listeners or Katie might be with the concept of DNA. I always appreciate a refresher on DNA because like, I know it's a double helix. Yes. And I know you've got the ATGC business going on because I remember putting like the dots candies together and I know it (laughs) makes up everything. Yes, it is It is the instructions for everything that your body knows how to make. Yes. So it's like it's like the big master owner's manual slash user manual, something like that for humans. In your cells, you have 23 chromosomes, well, 23 pairs of chromosomes, sorry. 22 of which we call autosomal, which means everyone has very similar versions. And then the last pair of which is your sex chromosomes, X or Y. Mm-hmm. So those those are treated a little differently when it comes to different types of DNA testing, which is the reason I make that distinction. And so your DNA, think of it as like a 23 volume encyclopedia set of how to make a human. How to make a specific human. Yes. Everyone's like total encyclopedia sets are very similar because humans are 99.9% identical. All of us are. That 0.1% though, when given the amount of base pairs that you have, um, which I think is 6.2 billion. Good night. Okay. So that's actually pretty significant. 3.2 billion. Oh, snaps. So that uh, 0.1% can actually be quite, (laughs) quite a large number of base pairs. Yeah. Significant for sure. Samari, now's not the time. I know. 
She wanted to run through her crinkle tube. So I just want to point out, it's always the time for Summerine. I love Summerine, and she's totally allowed to join the podcast whenever she feels like it. Yeah, I see Brie in the background, just supervising. Yeah, Brie can do what she wants. Yeah, Brie does what she wants. So anyway, so these, uh, physically, like you mentioned, uh, the DNA is a double helix. And on the the helix is like these two, like, think of it as a ladder that's kind of spiraled around itself. And the backbones of the ladder are just kind of the same all the way down. They're a phosphate backbone that makes the DNA negatively charged. And that is a little bit important for later. Um, But the A's and T's and C's and G's are all on the inside. They make up the rungs of the ladder. And A's bind with T's and G's bind with C's. And that's just based on like their shape, how big they are, and how many bonds they can make between the two. Sure. So all of this, you know, this 23 volume set of how to make a human is only written in an alphabet of four letters and it is read in words of three letters. So you've got only four letters possible and you've got three letter words always. And that's how your genetic code is written. Okay. And you've got machinery inside your cell that will take that DNA and make kind of a temporary copy of it called RNA. And this is like a blueprint that you would actually take to a job site. You know, you don't need to take your whole encyclopedia if you're just building something very specific. You just need a photocopy of one or two of the pages. Right, exactly. And so you wouldn't need the instructions for how to make a liver cell if you're actually a heart cell. You know, you need the instructions that are relevant to that cell type. So RNA is different between different cell types. You know, some structural proteins or whatever are going to be the same, but there are a lot of unique, what we call transcripts, because you have the DNA and then you transcribe it, you know, make a exact copy basically into the RNA. And then you translate the RNA into a protein. Okay. And the proteins are what's going to actually like do things in your cell. But basically you have machinery that reads those three letter words and matches those up to amino acids and the amino acids form the protein. That's the short version. I remember like I'm brushing off my like, I mean, I know we talked about this before and I'm also like brushing off like the ninth grade stuff that we used to do. <laughs> yeah. It's, in there. it's in like, there some somewhere. Of this, like you're saying, I'm like, I remember this with the dots, candies and the, and the toothpicks. I remember this. Okay. Right. So that is how your DNA encodes for everything that makes up who you are is by being that basis for the RNA and then the RNA encoding for the protein. So the reason that we don't look the same as all other humans or, or even our siblings is what you'll find on slide six. I'm following you. The reason that you don't necessarily look the same as, like I said, all other people or even just your most closely related people, your parents, your siblings, is that it helps if you think of the books, the the big encyclopedia of how to make a human, not as like maybe hardcover bound books, but as binders. And so if you have like two binders that are very similar because you have two copies of these chromosomes of this DNA... If you like put them next to each other and like maybe you dropped them and they popped open and then you tried to put all the pages back in the right binders. So there'd be some like mix up because there's the same basic thing written on every page and maybe like a word is different. Yes. But you'd get a little shuffling. Which would mess things up. 
Well, I mean, it doesn't mess things up because you've got the same instructions. It's just something that's slightly different. And so what you get, like you're, you're not going to inherit one exact chromosome from your mom, like the whole thing, because it's going to undo a little bit of shuffling with the one next to it. So it's not like your mom has these two sets of traits and they're completely independently inheritable. And your dad has two. So your only options are to get this whole set from your mom and this whole set from your dad. Instead, you can kind of mix and match and get some traits from your mom, mix and match some traits from your dad. And because of that, like that mixing and matching happens uniquely every time. And so your brothers and sisters are going to get a different mix and match than you did. So while it's still all your parents' genetics, it's not the same set every time. It's random. Like every single time it's just like throw the die and what comes up, that's what you get. Right. I mean, it's like if you just dropped those binders next to each other and you shuffled the pages trying to get them back in the right spots, it's not like directed how that's going to get put back in the right binder. Okay. I love that. Okay. I never thought about that, but that's so true. And it's why some siblings look closer to mom, closer to dad, like neither of them. And why it's like my sister and I have like similar noses. Like she's blonde hair, blue eyed and like five foot three. And I'm dark hair. And well, I have blue hair, but like dark hair, dark eyed. And I'm like five foot, like eight. Yeah. Which, okay. That's fascinating. That's very interesting. Okay, cool. Cool. Following you, following you. So it's little changes like that over the course of, every person who is born that lets some variability be introduced into the genome. And there are other ways that like variability can be introduced and those are utilized in different forms of DNA testing. But this, this uniqueness, even though like you're still, still working with what you get from your parents, this still makes it where every, every human has a very unique genome. So cool. So I'll start off by applying, you know, this to forensic DNA testing. So forensic DNA testing in general is comparing a DNA profile from a crime scene sample to a known sample. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a suspect sample. It can be the victim. It can be someone else who lives there that you need to know whether or not it's just like incidental DNA because someone lives there. You know, I've seen forensic files. <laughs> yes. I know what this is. Yeah. Cause you got to get swabbed. Like you can deny, like you don't have to provide a DNA sample. It depends. If you're arrested, you do. Well, but they have to arrest you first. Yes, they have and to arrest you. And you have to first. ask for a lawyer. <laughs> I listen to Crime Junkies. Look, I listen to the Crime Junkies podcast. I know my rights. All right. But yes, okay. But I've seen this part before. I feel like this is the thing people always think of. Like you find a blood splatter on the wall and like they take a they take a little Q-tip, get like a microscopic bit of blood and they're like, we know you were here. Well, right? yeah. I mean, t- that's kind of what they usually say. Um, although... A forensic DNA analyst, as an expert witness, cannot say, we know you were here. We can say, this DNA profile matches the profile of this person. We can't tell you when it got there. We can't tell you how it got there. We can't tell you what body part it came from. We can tell you that this profile matches this profile. You know, that's it. That's all we report on. Oh, okay. I did not know that, but okay. Fair enough. Yes. You might could tell, you know, 
if it had been there for a long time, if it started to degrade or something, but that's not something that we have like hard stats on and say like, oh, well, if we only got like a partial sample, it means it was old. No, there's a tons of things that could influence that fact. It could be wet and humid. It could be hot. You know, there's lots of things that affect how long, how good a DNA sample is after a long period of time. Okay. And with DNA, you can't tell, like I said, what body part it even comes from, but with RNA, you can't. Oh, oh, and I know why. I can, I can tell you why. It's because the RNA is for very specific blueprints. Yes, exactly. So you're not going to find liver RNA and be like, that's heart blood. Yes. Say, look, I'm listening, paying attention, following the slideshow. <laughs> very good. Yes. So actually when I was interning at the FBI, that's what my project was on. And I feel comfortable saying that because we did publish a paper on it, looking at the genes that are expressed in all cell types. So like, just like the housekeeping genes that are for structural stuff or like for getting energy stuff that's all cells need to do. I was looking at a a panel of those house, what they call housekeeping genes and comparing that like across some forensically relevant tissue types and saying like, which of these is the most consistently expressed across these tissue types so that we can use it like as a screen to say the RNA is intact. So before we bother doing more specific tests down the line of looking for specific transcripts to say, you know, is this blood, is this semen, is this saliva, is it not just blood, but menstrual blood, which is different. And that can be very relevant in rape cases. Yeah. Because as a woman, you and I both know that just because there's blood in your underwear doesn't necessarily mean it came from a sexual assault. That's true. But yeah, like sometimes, you know, it's just a struggle, but I guess that's a really good point too. Yeah. Also, if a dude's like, I cut myself, that's how blood got on my shorts. We're like, sir, it's menstrual blood. Let's have a conversation about that. Right. But with DNA, you can't tell. And of course, you know, Sorry, I almost got on a tangent about how bad CSI is about their. Forensics, I mean, but I feel like I'm always here for a good tangent because <laughs> I love CSI. So please tell me what's wrong with it. Uh, no, I just like there was this ridiculous example one time of they were having like some. They showed that some guy was like wearing gloves while they were dismembering someone or something. And then they like slow mode showing this like drop of sweat fell down from his forehead and then fell into the glove. And so they knew that there was sweat in the glove. I'm like, hey, have you ever done anything while wearing gloves for any length of time? Because latex gloves make your hand real sweaty. You don't need this like magical single drop of forehead sweat to fall. Singular drop. No. But then it's but then it doesn't make it as interesting to watch. Doesn't make me want to pull my hair out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, CSI is ridiculous. You can get touch DNA off of lots of things, and sweat is not particularly useful because it's mostly just like liquid <laughs> secreted salt water and sebum. You know that's not helpful. Not helpful. No. And honestly, while we're on the subject, and then we're actually going to get move forward, your red blood cells. <laughs> Your red blood cells are some one of the very few cell types who actually doesn't have any DNA because they don't have a nucleus. 
part of the maturation process for red blood cells is they actually lose their nucleus because basically they need to be shaped like inner tubes, like real flat in the middle, because otherwise they won't be able to squish up on themselves and go through your capillaries because capillaries are so small that like one blood cell can fit through them at a time. And even then, not like if it's flat all the way, it has to like curl up to be able to get through. You know, that's fascinating. And I did actually know that because like blood diseases, that's one of the biggest problems. It's like the blood cells aren't shaped right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like sickle cell. Yep. Like sickle cell. Yeah. Sickle cell. It's like causes Mm -hmm. like serious problems. I actually did know that. Okay. I guess that makes sense. So no nucleus. Gotcha. Right. So they don't have DNA, but there's a lot of other cell types in your blood, like white blood cells that have DNA. And so that's not, you can definitely get blood uh, DNA from blood. It's just not actually from the red blood cells. Fun fact. Things I did not know, adding that to my knowledge base so I can brag to all of my other friends who like true crime. (laughs) Good. And so here's what you should also tell them. So the type of DNA testing that is done by forensics labs is called short tandem repeat testing. And that STR, short tandem repeat, means literally that there are segments of DNA where the sequence of letters is repeated. It is a short sequence. And those repeats are all next to each other. Okay. So in the sentence, say, science is very, 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 very fun. Seven repeats. And then you have another sentence on the other copy of your DNA in that other book of how to make a human that says, science is very, 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 very fun. Six repeats. Okay. It doesn't change the meaning of the sentence. But if you were going to write that sentence down and copy it, You may or may not get that right. You may add it a very, you may lose a very. And so that's how these regions of your DNA are quite variable. They can change because if you get a long string of repeats, the machinery that's making the copies can like kind of slip back and forth because it like it thinks it's already copied this. And so it jumps forward or it like jumps back because the sequence of what it's copying now is really similar to what it just copied. And so it kind of like it slips back and forth so that, that the number of repeats changes more frequently than other regions of your DNA can change. Okay. That makes sense. Cause these aren't regions that are encoding for anything in the sentence. Science is very X number of varies fun. Six versus seven varies is not changing the meaning of that sentence at all. Mm -hmm. So your cells don't care if that sentence is changed because it's not like affecting any proteins down the line. Okay. But the regions being variable means that one person's going to have, you know, two copies of DNA, one with a six and one with a seven repeats, number of repeats. Mm -hmm. Another person's going to have four repeats versus 19 repeats. You know, another person's going to have two copies that are both 12 repeats. There's a lot of variability there. And because like these sentences quote sentences are written in actual physical chemical structure they're physically bigger it's like you were cutting out the piece of paper that has that sentence on it and that those pieces of paper would be different sizes and so we take that dna that is different sizes and we put it in a long tube that's filled with gel and then we run a current through that tube and the negatively charged DNA runs towards the positive end of that gel, but the bigger pieces run slower. And so it separates the pieces based on size. I've seen this. Right. So if you go forward one slide, you'll see what is a, cap- okay. it is a capillary electrophoresis readout. And it shows you these peaks 
that are based on size. And so those peaks indicate basically when this piece of DNA made it in front of the sensor at the end of that tube filled with gel. Oh, and for everybody listening, just so you know, Erica will be um, posting this online. So you can follow along too if you want to pull up the slideshow, like why you look through it. Because actually looking at this, Erica, is super useful. Seeing like the doubles up, like you said, like kind of like looking at it, looking at the numbers. This is actually super helpful to kind of explain what you're talking about. Okay, sure. And those numbers, like I said, those numbers represent the number of repeats at that region. So that's what a DNA profile forensically consists of is what are the the repeats at these 16 regions. And I say 16 because most labs use 16 regions, 13 of which are mandated by the FBI and are common between all crime labs in the country. There's two that are kind of variable based on which chemical kit you use. And then the last one is XY. Okay. And the kind of results that DNA analysts will give are whether or not this is statistically a unique match. And we ha- we set that threshold at the time. It was 50 Earths worth of people, basically. It was like, because of the number of regions that are being tested, the number of options at those regions, like how many repeats there could be, you know, what are the options? And then the frequency of each of those repeats, because some numbers of repeats are rarer than others what would be the likelihood of randomly finding this profile in another person, barring an evil twin, you know, there's always the possibility of an evil identical twin, Yeah. but barring that, what is the likelihood that you would just randomly come across another person with this profile? And if it would take more than 50 earths worth of people to reach that threshold, then we're going to consider this a unique profile. You know, we're going to consider this a unique match and say within all scientific certainty, quote, that these profiles are a match, that this profile originated from this person. Okay. You do have to do slightly different statistics if you're operating with like an isolated population, like people who were born on a like a Native American reservation or a small Pacific island or another isolated group where there may not be quite the same variability in genetic profiles. You don't want to skew those results you know, as if you were looking in a broader population, because that wouldn't be fair, because it, it is more likely to have similar profiles in a like a closely integrated community. Absolutely. Like that. And that makes sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to be fair there, the statistics may be slightly different, but for the most part, it's a simple matter of statistics and the frequency of these different number of repeats in the population. Okay. So like that's, that's the science of it. And this does take several days to do. It takes time to go through the bulk evidence. And I say days only for the DNA testing part of it. Wait, you mean I can't send off a sample and get it back same day? If there is a missing person or a body identification, maybe. Maybe. Other than that, no ma'am. Absolutely not. <laughs> People got lunch breaks and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, just literally, like, in Arkansas, there's one crime lab with a dozen DNA analysts that serves the entire state. That's crazy. Oh, my God. The, the volume is just, I mean, you try to prioritize like rapes and homicides and right. I'm sorry about your property crime. It like sucks, but. Right. And like you said, a missing person obviously is going to be a thing. You know, it's time sensitive information. I'm sure you can get back quicker. Even then you're looking at like a two day turnaround Damn. because it just, 
It literally just takes time to do the DNA extraction, to do the quantification, to amplify the DNA, and then to run it through the capillary electrophoresis machine to analyze that and do the statistics on it to write your report and then issue it back to the agency. Like no one's lollygagging. That's just literally the amount of time it takes. Yeah. No, I mean, then that makes sense. Like, you know, I've sat, in, I've sat in your lab before and watched you like do like the most basic maintenance on cells and science. And it takes a while. Yeah. Long enough to where you have to turn around and tell me to stop messing with stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like well, that long, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Well, you know, and I, I realize some of that is for Hollywood. Well, yeah. So like what else is for Hollywood? I mean, the time scale is obviously the biggest thing for me, but yeah. you can't get, say, DNA from every surface that exists. If someone breathed on a window, you probably can't swab that piece of glass and get DNA from the condensation of their breath. I totally see that happen. I told you about the wine glass, right? Did you? Because I literally just pulled that out of my butt. Like, <laughs> No, did I tell you what? The, I, I was watching one of the episodes and something happened. Like somebody like took a sip of a wine glass mm -hmm. and like coughed on a mirror or something. And like, he got the wine glass, but she got the mirror and it was like, it was a whole thing. Wow. She was like, there's like one drop of spit on the mirror. And she was able to prove that like, he like murdered this guy or something. It was a situation. Yeah. I was like, Whoa. The thing that got cool me stuff. in a show was like, they literally walked in to a lab with like a bloody piece of clothing. They took the drop of blood they put it into a machine they closed the machine and a driver's license popped up on the screen you don't have that technology no ma'am <laughs> <laughs> no ma'am like literally they like closed the machine and i think they like paced around for 15 seconds of dramatic music and then a driver's license popped up i was like no that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, but it makes it more interesting when, like, the driver's license. You don't have that machinery in your lab? No. Apparently only the Las Vegas Crime Scene Investigation Unit has that piece of machinery <laughs> in their lab. Why have I never watched CSI with you? Oh, my God. Can we please watch CSI together? Can we please watch Criminal Minds together? Can you stand watching medical dramas with your husband? I mean, at this point, it's hilarious. I love watching medical dramas with my husband. Okay. It would be a similar experience, I feel. I mean, oh my God. Like, it's it's my favorite thing at this point. I would, <laughs> I've got to watch CSI with you. I will let everyone online know how that goes. One day when we have a Patreon, that'll be one thing we do is just, it'll be just me griping at CSI. It'll be a watch along. Just, yeah. And like me being like, I'm going to find like the most ridiculous episodes I can and be like, this is what we're watching. It's like, God, Erica, get access to better equipment. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, so okay, so that's not a thing. I knew that was not a thing. Yeah, that's not a um, thing. One of the things I actually learned, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but I actually learned this from another podcast, my favorite podcast, Crime Junkies. I learned that like just because you have a DNA sample and just because it's a good DNA sample doesn't mean you're going to get a match because the idea that like there's this magical database where everyone ever yes it's <laughs> like in it is like a thing it's like if i was to commit a crime i don't think they'd be able to tie it back to me yeah your fingerprints are probably on file but your dna probably i isn't. was about to say i'm on file yeah my fingerprints are on file but you know i've never done time right so so yeah unless you've been yeah, arrested so anyway, like i know that's false yeah yes absolutely not everyone is in a dna database and like you said just because you have a good profile doesn't mean that it matches another profile that's got a name attached to it because yeah. there is a DNA database 
Um, and I just forgot what they changed the name to. So it's called CODIS, and it used to stand for the Convicted, Convicted Offender DNA Indexing System. And now it stands for the Combined... I should have looked that up. The com- oh, because there's not a word. I was like, I don't remember what the O stands for. Nothing. It's the CO is for Combined. So it's the Combined DNA Indexing System. Fine, whatever. Nice, Okay. So that, that's the official national DNA index. And in our lab, like we could take our the profiles obtained from a forensic sample or whatever and enter it into the database. But we had a completely separate DNA unit that was in charge of monitoring the database, checking the quality of new entries into the database, and then monitoring any matches and confirming any matches that were produced by the database. So you don't just believe what the computer says. You try to like get a profile from that person, either the victim or the offender, like a a different offender, you know, someone who was connected with another crime. So their DNA is already on file. You get that tested fresh compared against the new profile, things like that. So we have, that's a dedicated group of professionals to do that. Okay. And then also, like I said, DNA doesn't convict anyone of a crime. It doesn't tell you when it got there. It doesn't tell you how it got there. It just tells you there's a match. The it just tells you it's there. Yep. It tells you this yeah. is the profile I found, whether or not it statistically matches someone else. And I will say, and this is another thing that sometimes comes up in television, is the DNA that we collect does not offer any demographic information. It does not tell you the other than gender. It tells you um, sex chromosomes. Okay. So not gender, but sex. Yeah. It tells you sex. Yeah. I got you. But it doesn't tell you race. It doesn't tell you height. It doesn't tell you age. And you'll get that sometimes on TV shows. I was about to say, that's impressive. And I always kind of look at that because I'm like, I know a psychological profile can sometimes give you that idea. Uh-huh. But I was like, so I have heard that in shows where they're like, well, the DNA testing shows this. I'm like, really? I feel like some of that's getting into my ter- territory. Like, you know, the behavioral profile could give you some of that information. But even right. then, guys, we're guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're using our best guess. If there's ever a woman who crosses like socioeconomic and racial boundaries to like uh, go murder a bunch of people, then we're never going to catch you. <laughs> we're never going to profile for that. Don't give anyone ideas, Katie. Just saying, we will not profile for that. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, and that's that is something like people say, like, well, doesn't the DNA tell you at least like their race or something like that? Well, like, okay, for starters, no, because that's there's not like a gene for that at all. (laughs) But there are statistics, or at least at the time, there were statistics that were given by frequency of different numbers of repeats in different populations. So for Caucasians, for African Americans, for Southeastern Hispanics and Southwestern Hispanics, for different regions of the country where different population subgroups may be more prevalent, I'm sure those statistics would be given instead. But those are not used to guide investigations. They're not used to profile anyone. They're just used to make sure that that profile is unique among groups with different frequencies of these alleles. So make sure that this profile would still meet the scientific certainty threshold given populations of people that have different frequencies of the alleles. But that doesn't mean just because a characteristic is more common in one group, that means that this profile came from that group. And I always use the example of uh, brown eyes are more common 
in, say, the African-American population than they are in a Caucasian population because Caucasians can have like, you know, blue eyes and green eyes and hazel eyes at a greater frequency than, say, a black population. But just because someone has brown eyes doesn't mean they're black. You know, That's true. just, be, just yeah. because that trait is more common in that group doesn't mean that that trait equals membership in that group. Yeah. So that's that's just the way I like to say that just because like a profile would be more likely in a given group doesn't that that can't be used to guide. It's not definitive. Just because a profile is more likely doesn't mean it's definitive right. by any means. But but we would still only report it as scientific certainty if within that population it would still take fifty Earths worth of people to, to find another random match. So which is awesome. That's a lot of people. That's all I'm saying. That's a lot of people. Good lord, that's a lot of people. I mean, this is fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, and it's weird because like, like I said, I do realize a lot of it's for Hollywood, but you know, you do hear certain things and it's like, this also buys in the whole thing where people are like, oh my God, if the government ever gets your like DNA, they're going to know anything about you. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they can just kind of like tell you're you. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't murder anyone, they're not going to be able to like do anything with your DNA. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like it depends. Like, okay. So another thing that you probably get from like Hollywood is the fact that there are genetic markers that are known now to, for like predisposition to different conditions. And that's the whole basis of medical DNA testing, like 23 Me that we'll talk about next time or the time after that, depending on how many episodes this goes for. Podcast we do because DNA is fascinating. I was describing these regions that forensic testing looks at. It tells you nothing. It tells you repeats in these nonsensical regions of your DNA that aren't affecting anything, that's not, forensic labs do not test for whether or not you're predisposed to breast cancer. They don't tell you if you've got like a bone disorder that's going to affect your gait or your footprints or something else that's forensically relevant. You know, you're not going to tell you. Wait, I've totally seen that where they're like, this person like has like a blood disorder and probably has to go to the hospital a lot. I've seen that in shows. No, that's not the kind of DNA that we're looking at. The kind of DNA that that looks at, we will look at next episode. But that's not for, uh, but that's not what you do in the forensic lab. No, no. Yeah, we don't look at anything like that. We just look at super simple repeat regions so we can separate the, the pieces based on size. It's very definitive. It's not complicated in trying to determine like detailed characteristics and build a profile. It's just, like I described it, it's pretty simple, straightforward, which is good because you like in a forensic setting, you don't want guilty people to get away. You also don't want to convict an innocent person like both. Yes. Forensic analysts are not on the side of either the accuser or the accused. You're there for the facts and you don't. You're on the side of science. Yes. You're there. You're there for the truth. And technically justice is carried out by the people who interpret that truth. Got you. You're there to elucidate the facts. That is fascinating. All of these things I did not know. I'm super interested in this. All these things I did not know. It was a very interesting job to have for many reasons. You know, lab work wise, it was pretty varied. Like I said, my complaint with it was that there's not a lot of like room for critical thinking and like innovation, Mm -hmm. which I felt like I should probably do something that challenged me a little more personally. But 
I mean, there's a very important reason that you're not there to innovate and find new methods for things. You want it to be done the same way every time so that you can have the best faith in that sample being processed exactly the way it's supposed to be. And you know what? That makes sense. Like, I do want it to be like almost like a completely routine thing if you're testing DNA. You know, I mean, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's becoming an increasingly automated process. And I mean, good for it, because this is one field that needs to be done the exact same every time. Right. For like for fairness and to make sure that, you know, you're not because this is like one of those things where there are long lasting ramifications if mistakes are made Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. God, okay, that is so interesting. I'm actually really like, this is so, I, I was really excited to do the DNA episode with you because you know I'm obsessed with like true crime stuff and that's super fun. And then I also love trash TV shows. And then also <laughs> I haven't done Ancestry.com. Like I haven't done the Ancestry like DNA testing yet. I was waiting on maybe mm-hmm. us doing it together once I moved there. Ooh. I, I thought that'd be a super fun thing to do. So I have my, I've done DNA testing because my grandmother's super into genealogy. And so she got everyone DNA kits. Oh yeah, that's cool. Like she did Ancestry for like Ancestry.com for a lot of people, but she did it for like my mom and my dad. So there wasn't any point or she did it for my mom and then her, my grandmother and her husband. So like, those are all the options that funnel down into me. So Ancestry wise- That's all I got. But uh, I did do 23andMe before I was going to be presenting this talk. Was it awesome? I mean, it tells you things. That's what I'm saying. Was it like fun to do? Because I really want to do it. Yeah. I was going to wait on you to do it. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. (laughs) No, no, no. I I didn't care if you waited on me. I was going to wait on you because I was like, Erica's me up to tell me what all this stuff means. Yes. And that's one of the things that we're definitely going to talk about in subsequent episodes is what they tell you and like how much they're actually telling you and like how to Mm -hmm. look at the data and see where they're getting the data from, like where they're coming from to know how trustworthy a like a trait or characteristic that they give you actually is. So we'll talk about that. That's okay. I am so interested in that. That sounds amazing. Yay. So before we leave, I wanted to check in with you if you don't have any more science for us. I always have more science, Katie. Excuse me. There's always more science. If you don't have any more science you want to discuss right now. There you go. (laughs) There's no more science, but I need to discuss at 10 o'clock at night. Fair enough. Oh yeah, we're doing a nighttime episode, guys. So that's why, like, this is interesting. I just feel like we're all over the place. Sometimes it's morning, sometimes it's night. You know, we do what we want. But I wanted to see if you had a mental health minute for this week. Or I can go first. Doesn't matter to me. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. I feel like I go first a lot. You go first. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, Way to put me on the spot. No, no worries. Okay. So my mental health minute this week is I have been really overwhelmed with, like, selling this house and buying a new house and all these things. And my mental health minute for this week, I think, is going to be to learn how to sit and trust the process. That if something is happening, not getting caught up in the moment and like ruminating and obsessing over like things you don't have control over, right? Learning to just sit in the moment and allow things to happen as they are meant to happen. Mm -hmm. Because I have found, especially with me in the past, when I start trying to micromanage and control things that I cannot control, 
Then if it's nothing, spikes my anxiety and then the whole world collapses and I'm being extra dramatic. <laughs> so yeah, that's my mental health minute for this week is to trust the process and learn to like, you know, give yourself grace, give others grace and understand that things are going to land where they're supposed to land. That's that's really good. And actually, the the thing that had kind of occurred to me was, was actually quite similar. Along the giving yourself grace lines, just kind of remembering that like nobody's perfect and mistakes happen and that's okay and you'll be okay. In the past, I've had a lot of work-related anxiety and it was a little debilitating there for a while. Yeah, I remember that. But with change in work environment and meds, uh, I now am able to function at work. But I think it was last week or maybe the week before, I like kind of messed something up at work or I was worried that I'd messed something up. I mean, it was a very temporary setback, but it was something that I had been working on for two months. Like I handled something wrong and it started like causing like an adverse reaction. I, I just, I just got so sick. I was like, oh my God, I've messed up this thing that I literally took two months of work. And I mean, not like constant work, but still, it's not like you can just redo it tomorrow. But I mean, it turned out fine. I was able to like repeat some of the last steps of the processing and it just like, it got back to normal the way it was supposed to be. Everything worked out fine. But I was so scared and sick for a little bit. Like, oh my God, I've messed something up. But you know what? If I'd messed something up, it's really okay. Like it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but it also worked out fine. Like I fixed it. It was fine. But it made me think like, while things seem terrible and no one likes to make mistakes ever, no one wants to disappoint the people when you're like working as part of a team, you want to like be part of that team and, and progress with other people. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It's going to be okay. I love that mental health minute. I feel like we all need a little bit of that. It'll be okay and trust the process. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. I like the positivity we've got going on this, like going on right now. I'm like feeling your positivity vibe. I'm here for it. Fist bump <laughs> through the camera. Yes. Digital. Fist yes. Bump. <laughs> here for it. Okay. So um, we got the obligatory like little wrap up things, which are, uh, don't forget if you have questions, comments, Please send us an email at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com. We are back on schedule, so we will be releasing bi-weekly, barring anything crazy, every other week. We're back on schedule. Yes, but our new schedule. Yep, because we are adults, and she has a new job, and my life is currently out of boxes. So, you know, we're doing the best we can, guys. Bear with us, because trust the process. Yes. Yes, and it'll be okay. (laughs) And it'll be okay. All right, so uh, social media stuff, go for it. Yes. So you can find us on Facebook. I will post, if not like my whole presentation, because I don't know if Facebook lets you do that, but I'll definitely post some pictures that will help kind of explain what I'm looking at or what Katie's been looking at as I've been talking. Heck yeah. Um, so we are at Southern Science on Facebook, but you might have to find us under the tag of Southern Science Chicks. And we're also on Instagram as Southern Science Chicks. I'll post something there too. I don't know. I'm bad at social media. So. I'm going to take over the social media once I get to truth for it because my obsession with social media knows no bounds. And that's just who I am as a person. But y'all just bear with us a little bit longer until we get everything set. We're about in the same city and it's about to pop up. So uh, we will see everybody two weeks from today, Erica. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Do you ever tell the friends we knew that you